We're going to do one more, uh, we'll finish up Exodus 20 next week, Lord willing, and then we will look at the life of Job, or the book of Job, for a while. And so we'll take a, we'll take a pause, Exodus, for a moment, a few moments, a few weeks, and then we'll go from there. Exodus chapter 20, if you would there, please. We're up to the last commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus twenty seventeen: thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his uh, ox, nor his ass, nor his anything that is thy neighbor's, period. And so uh, may the Lord has blessing to the reading of his word. Shall we pray? Lord, we just thank you for this Ten Commandments that we have studied the last, well, ten weeks, twelve weeks, thirteen weeks, however long it's been. Will help us not to just have them in our mind and maybe even our memory, but have them in our lives May we our lives reflect an adherence to and obedience of these commands. They are for mankind, yes, and they're also for us individually that we will be obedient. The songwriter, I think it was Mr. Hamilton, said, Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And so, Lord, may we be obedient. Lord, help me this evening. Be with Miss Cindy next door. May uh, we focus our thoughts upon you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to conclude the Ten Commandments, uh, the part of the Exodus series. It really is sort of a summary command, if you would, in regard to the fact that this is a heart issue, coveting. We don't go out and say, well, it's not like a big sign, he's a coveter, he's a coveter. And we can't really see it necessarily, but you know your heart. Someone has said, to whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. Are you truly content with what God has given you? That would be something I believe we would need to ask during the message. Again, taking from Dr. Rogers' book, The Secret, uh, Ten Secrets for a Successful Family. And we might even call this The Secret of Satisfaction, if you want to give it a title. The Secret of Satisfaction. Advertisers have done a very good job of making us want things we didn't even know we wanted. If you were, if you watched the Super Bowl or watched any of the commercials, they charge seven million dollars per thirty-second commercial, seven million dollars, fourteen million dollars per minute. We have been told that we need so many things. I mean, someone in our congregation just recently got the new Galaxy uh, 14, whatever it is, phone. And so, or maybe, they, maybe they've gotten the iPhone 14, or perhaps they've got the iPad 10th generation. And so we're told we need the newest things when it comes out. You know, I thought my life was okay until I started perusing the Lowe's Flyers, the Lowe's and, and, and also perhaps Menard's Flyers. I thought I was doing okay. Then I found out there is a circular saw that runs on a battery. And I found out the miter saw, what a neat invention that was. And then I found out uh, the, all these different things. Now, I thought I was happy until I saw those things. You know, I thought that the paint in my house was okay until I found out that Sherwin-Williams will make the exact color that you want if you'll go to them and ask for it. And Wow, I didn't know that. And I thought my toothbrush was okay until I found the Sonicare toothbrush, or it is the Philips one by Sonicare, or it is the Aqua... Aqua uh, Sonic Dual Pro or the Oral B Genius 8000. I thought my little toothbrush was okay till wow, those brushes. And I thought my mustard was okay till I found there's gray poupon. And so we might need that. <laughs> Honestly, I have learned to like honey mustard. I actually do like honey mustard now. A long time ago, and Hank Ketchum's Dennis the Menace. Dennis is looking through a catalog and he says, This catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. 
And it's sort of like if you're a car person or a truck person or a tool person, I didn't even know they made things like that. Wow, I need one of those. My brother said very aptly, I have found, he said, Tim, that every time I have a home repair job, it needs a new tool to fix it. I like that idea. The desire for more makes us more and more unhappy. And so surveys have found that couples often separate because of unhappiness and a lot of his regard to their attitude toward money. It seems couples today, generalization, want in three years what their mom and dad have saved 30 and 40 years to attain. And sadly, in our culture, I just read it, just saw an article yesterday, how, much, how so many 30-somethings are encumbered by so much debt already in their lives. I like what Erwin Lutzer says. He says, only about 6% of card users pay them off every month. If you can't control yourself, then fulfill your childhood dream and play doctor. Take your credit cards and perform plastic surgery. And many times, sad to say, in our culture even today, it is not till death, it's till debt do us part. So I, you need to get your finances under control, I would say that. And so uh, my wife and I, just to be, I'm very transparent with you, probably 10 years ago, we destroyed any credit card we had, and we've not had one since. It's a much better life. I, I like it. And uh, it's just it's the way it was. Now, I, a debit card really helps us with that, because you can use a debit card like a credit card if you need to order something over the phone, et cetera. But the, uh, you do what you, it, you, it's your call. But I would encourage you to handle as much as, as much as possible and, and just be wise with your money. But how many truly contented people, if you know people who are truly content, think back for just a moment, people who are truly contented with what they have, how many of those have you actually met in your life? Very few. Coveting simply means to have an unlawful desire for that which is not rightfully yours. One this dictionary says it's grasping for more. The late Lee Robertson of Tennessee Temple called it an ancient sin dogging the steps of modern man. It's not limited to money. It, is, it could involve influence or fame or power or appearance. I tell you, there's a coveting of power across our own nation. People want to be in charge and we want to do this. And not us necessarily, but in, in the, in the acad- academia, more, more the political realm, there's this desire to, to get, be more and more in control. And they will do whatever it takes to be given this position. We must not covet our neighbor's salary or his education or his advantages or his car or his house or anything that is our neighbor's. And I struggle with that perhaps sometimes in the summertime when Mr. Crumb over next door has a garden to die for and I have my little four circles here and my my tomato plants are rotting on the vine and he's over there. Would you like some tomatoes, Tim? Would you like a couple ears of corn? (laughs) Yes. And so he's like, and I, wow, he's such a good gardener, my goodness. And some of you I know are also that kind of gardeners. And I'm over here you know, twiddling my thumbs and mowing the grass while you're doing something in your garden. There we go. But the 10th commandment is, is not a, lo- a commandment against lawful desire. Lawful desire. It's not wrong to have godly ambitions. God knows you want to love and, and to be loved and, and have a God-given desire for friendship and a home and happiness and joy. We have those kind of desires. Those aren't wrong. It is the unlawful desire that's going to be talking about tonight. And that's what the Bible calls it covetousness. And why is it the last one? Perhaps it sort of sums up the others. The other commandments deal with actions. But this is your attitude. What do you 
think or what do you desire? It deals with the heart. It's a heart issue. So number one, it's a perplexing problem. Now, I know if you're taking notes this morning, you're probably scrambling to find out. My, my notes are all over the pulpit here, and hopefully I gave you a halfway decent outline this morning. Number one, uh, it's, we find out that it is tonight a perplexing problem, and it is under that a deceitful thing as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians. You'll need your dialing fingers together, please, if you can tonight with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, we'll start with that. A deceitful thing. You know, very few people even realize their covetousness because we have become so used to it. We have. So used to it. Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, I've seen thousands of people converted, but I've never seen a covetous person converted. And what he means by that is he's never seen someone who said, you know what, my sin is covetousness. Now, they might say, I'm a murderer, or a thief, an adulterer, or whatever this, I might have the blasphemer, but very few say, he said, I've never heard anybody say, you know, I'm guilty of coveting. But no one says that. For neither, 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, at any time used we flattering words, as you know, not a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. It is a deceitful thing. It's something that no one thinks he has. It's like underarm order. Now, sometimes I'll have to admit, I can smell in there and you think, I think I'm okay, and then maybe I'm not okay. And so you go out there and people, wow, man, what? smell kind of ripe. We call that, my father would say, I smelled kind of ripe, etc. And so you may not think you have it, but then you actually have it. Is it, is it me? Oh, it is me. Now, it's not right now, but it has been in the past. I really try to make sure I use my Mitchum on Sundays, especially. Uh, I take a shower, you know, once a month. It's the first, the first Sunday of the month, my shower. <laughs> That's a lie, a total falsehood. The Wizard of Id, one of my favorite comic books, of, uh, comic strips of all time. One monk's putting a sign on a bulletin board in front of the church, while another monk watches, and the sign says, "Thou shalt not covet." And the visiting monk says to the other, "Boy, I wish I had a signboard like that in front of my church." Until we get to the root of the problem as you're turning to Romans 7, we will never get to a solution. The previous nine commandments all have a strong, uh, overt element to them. Their actions to be observed. Covetousness is something down deep in, deep in our hearts. In a sense, it's the last commandment. It's the basis of all others, if you would. Even, even after all these overt actions, you've shown faithfulness in the previous nine Perhaps this last one is something that still is bothering you. Matter of fact, Apostle Paul mentions it in Romans 7, 7. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And so Paul says, this is the one that really was, I was struggling with Romans 7, 7. Paul's saying commandment wiped him out. It knocked the props out from under him because while he could say he hadn't done those things, he could not say he had not wanted or never wanted not unla- Paul was saying this not unlawful desire in his heart ma- made him. Paul is not saying that the unlawful desa- desire in his heart made him know he was a sinner before a righteous and holy God. That's what he was saying. He's saying this unlawful desire made him listen. I'm unrighteous before God. This idea, this desire to covet. Sometimes we can hold sinful desires in so they don't come to the surface. But inside our heart, that's a different story. Perhaps you've. Uh, perhaps you've never taken the Lord's name or don't take it in vain, but do you want to? Perhaps you've never committed adultery, but it's something you think about, desire to. Perhaps you don't steal, but have you ever been tempted to steal? Perhaps you don't kill, but have you ever wanted to kill? 
Seriously? Questions like these bring us up short, and that is the problem. It's a perplexing problem. It's a deceitful thing. Also, secondly, it's a debasing thing. In Mark chapter 7, please. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Mark chapter 7, please. 21 to 23. Mark chapter 7, 21 to 23. Nothing shows our depravity more than covetousness, if you would. Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from inside and defile the man. A man is not an adulterer because he commits adultery. He commits adultery because he is an adulterer. A man's not a thief because he steals. He steals because he's a thief. That's what we, we are sinners. We are sinners, saved by grace, yes, but... We are sinners. Covetousness is born in you. We were born with this sin nature. Now, I have to tell you, I read a book on the uh, on infants and the, uh, the mortality of infants and why we... Interesting book, very interesting book. But we, I personally believe that at the point of when a young person knows and understands the gospel, then they're going to be held accountable. And so we are born with this sin nature. If we don't respond to Christ, I believe, though, I believe though God takes the children to himself, personally believe that, but once they receive the age of accountability. By the way, this was the first 300 years of the church. The church would say that there's, there's an age of uh, accountability where, when the, if you know that Christ is truly, and you sin on your own, is what they would say, then you're held accountable. And so it, it's a touchy issue. There are some would say, you know, various views on children. Do they go to be with Christ? I believe that they do. I believe they're under God's protection. And so, but God always held us accountable in the Bible for our sin. He doesn't hold us accountable even for someone else's sin. My wife's not going to be praising the Lord for her. Take not held for accountable for my sin, and nor I for her, nor Mr. Womack for me, nor I for him. When I stand before God, it's going to be me who God is going to hold me accountable for so if you want to borrow the book, or I can tell you the name of it, and you can read it for yourself. It's an excellent book. gives you an idea of where our thought patterns come from that. Back to over to our the sin nature. We have the sin nature. Jesus said to the unsaved, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Even the high-ranking angel Lucifer coveted the throne. He became the devil by wanting what was not his. I was listening to one of those short TikTok things my wife said regarding Satan. Instead of worship coming through him to God, he wanted worship to come to him. Instead of through him, he wanted worship to come to him. By the way, you want to pick up the exceedingly best created thing of all time, it would be Lucifer. He was the number one angel, period, until sin entered. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. Plainly speaking, that's covetousness. How does it work today? Well, you have a little child named Throckmorton, and he, he's playing along happily, and the mother brings along her little boy. She's got 15 toys, and the mother brings another mother, sets Alfonso down beside Throckmorton. Throckmorton's got 14 of the 15. Alfonso finds just that one and starts playing with that. And so Alfonso leaves the 14, goes over and pops, or excuse me, Throckmorton leaves the 14 and goes over and pops him on the head and takes the 15th one back. And we say, oh, that's cute and sort of happy, funny, maybe kind of kind of okay when they're babies. But when we get older, it's not quite so much fun any longer. Children are naturally selfish. That's the first instinct, it seems, that comes along human nature. 
Covetousness is a very debasing thing, and as we as adults, that's something that we are allowing in our lives, very debasing, as you well know. The trouble with a covetous person is that he not only poisons his own life with misery, but he spoils everyone and everything else it touches. It's the self-centered person. Of all people, most miserable. It's those who will not admit that they are struggling. It's the pride. Our pride gets in so much of the way. That's why we in America, across the world, we don't want to surrender to God because we want to be on earth. We want to have our way. We want to do it my way. We want to do the Frank Sinatra thing my way. In the case of every other commandment we have talked about, teaching our children about greed starts with our own attitude. We've got to be careful what we say, what we buy. Everything, uh, everything. if you want to really know what is of value, take everything that money cannot buy, and that's really how much things that you really have that are important. The material stuff is stripped away, stuff stripped away, and that's who you really are. Why it's such a perplexing problem, it's a debasing thing, it's a deceitful thing. Thirdly, it's a destructive thing. 1 Timothy, please, chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6, if you would there, please. Covetousness is a destructive thing. 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. I keep thinking of that phrase, the mother says to the child, honey, I brought you into the world, I can certainly take you out. Straighten right up. That's where maybe that verse that the saying came from, verse 7. Verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in instruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They that will be rich. In other words, if that's your dogged determination, I want more than anything, I want to have as much money as I can possibly gather together. Now, in a very small way, uh, and I, at my office, I found out that you can actually have, uh, get a little tower thing and put it on your desk. And you can actually put six monitors on these two things. And so I got one that will hold four. So I've got, I'll have some on Tuesday at my work. I'll have four monitors, and then my fifth one will be my actual computer that I use. So I'll have five screens to work on at once. Instead of seven, I settled for five. And so someone asked me, my boss asked me on, she said, well, you can have the aging department pay for that. And I said, well, it's not really a need. It's just something I want to do, and so I'll take care of it. And so when I leave, I can take it with me back home, et cetera. And so sometimes there's these things that we just, we just have to admit, I don't really need those things, but I'm going to use it. My roommate says I'm crazy to have that many screens on my desk, but I can't wait to do it. The person who's helping with me says it just means you've got to do more work if you have more screens on your desk. And so anyway, I'll be able to have the football game up here and the baseball game here. No, just teasing. I don't even watch those anymore. So there we are. We find that, that this, this, this sin afflicts, affects others. Someone could say the love of money is the mother of all sins. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Beware of, tell your child, listen, while you're making money, don't let it become the all-encompassing thing. Some would say, well, listen, make all the money you can. Do whatever you can to make money. If you're spending all your moments making money, you're not sleeping enough. You're certainly not going to church enough. You're not reading your Bible and praying enough. If you're trying to do all these things, you're not even fishing and relaxing enough. If every single moment you are trying to make money and your desire to be rich is all-encompassing. I remember a couple of years ago uh, reading about Elon Musk and how he, now I'm not boohooing or whatever, he's a very, 
he would sleep about, I think, two or three hours a day is all he slept, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And he has certainly made his impact on the world. But he, he, it was, life was about working and making money, and he certainly has been extremely successful in that. But, but what is life worth? You're going, to, you're going to come to the end of your life, and what have you spent your time doing? We, we miss it. And so we as Christians, we should spend our time in service of the king. No servant can be served two masters in Luke 16. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness we sang earlier tonight. That should be it. Fences are too narrow, said this morning, to sit uncomfortably. Either God comes first or mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's one or the other. One or the other. For example, of the nine commandments, for example, thou shalt not have no, thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's either you or God. The sin of covetousness is very destructive. When you have covetousness in your heart, when you have this unlawful desire, your life is bent and broken to, and it destroys others on the way. In Ephesians 5, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. It's not saying you're going to hell if you covet. It's saying that those who are coveting all the time, that's their, their lifestyle. Lots of times they're not going to even have time for God. Not going to have time for God. And they're missing the most important thing of all. It's a perplexing problem. Number two, major number two is a proper perspective. Hebrews 13.5, please. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Since covetousness is a perplexing problem, we need to take a step back and Get a proper perspective. We need to understand who we are and what we have, I believe, will help us with our covetousness. Hebrews 13, verse 5. If you're over there, follow along. If you can, let your conversation or lifestyle be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he, God, has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I read this afternoon, even many people lose small joys in the hope for big happiness. That's it. We, we, we lose so much of the good things of life. And I've said before, when I, all my life I'm waiting for to get to retirement. And I can do, you know, just sit back and do nothing. And we're going to wait for that. And we're going to work toward that. And then we get there and, wow, what do I do now? You know, it's like. I'm a person, I sort of like keep fairly busy typically during, you know, okay, I like to be doing something all the time pretty much. I'm going to miss, but how many things have I missed along the way waiting to finally get to where I'm self-sufficient on my own thinking or whatever, and God doesn't want us that way anyway. He wants us to trust him day by day. How much I've missed, perhaps you're missing those things too by being so ingrained into these various things, we need a proper perspective. Consider what you have. You have an abundance. Ernest Hemingway died of suicide because despite his wealth and celebrity, he considered life to be, quoting now, just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Life is much more than that. So when I said wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. I like that. Few wants. You can be very content with what God has given you now, or you can be discontent. It's the people who have a lot often are happy with only the next dollar. Jay Rockefeller, I think it was, it said something like that. Well, one dollar more. That's what I want. Just one dollar more. Instead of be content with what God has given you. You have an abundance. You're the child of God. You're twice born and blood bought. You're a member of God's family. Not only that, we have God himself. 
Psalm 73. Who have I in heaven but thee, and there is none on earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We have God himself. We have a family. Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, or a husband. Uh, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. Our society, we even as Christians, sometimes we succumb to the idea that children are not so much the heritage, and we should this, but children are. People think today, well, regarding material possessions, children, we find that, well, we find that children, we say, make a rich man poor. No, they make a poor man rich. That's what children are. That's our, that's what God has given to us. You can't take, you can't take your Elvis's solid gold, was it solid gold Cadillac or something like, or something. He was buried in a Cadillac, I think, maybe perhaps Elvis, but he, when he got to heaven or wherever he went, if he went to heaven, I trust that he did, it wasn't there. He was without his car, or he was buried. I know I, I was a guy buried in a bass boat, or he went to, at least went to the cemetery in the bass boat. But when he got there, wherever he went, the bass boat, I'm telling you, not there either. Who you are is what's going to eternity, the real you. Children make a poor man rich. We find. Are we seeing children that way, that God sees them? Not only we have abundance, God himself, a family, we have friends. A friend loveth at all times. We laugh and carry and hoot and carry on in the choir, but we are developing a friendship. And for whatever, for a few years, many years, whatever it is, but that's part of what, and we have friends here. Friend loveth at all times. And fifthly, you have God's wisdom. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Proverbs 3, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. What is your Bible knowledge worth to you? What is your Bible worth to you? I trust it. It's, it's worth far more than anything else. What would you, I mentioned this morning, what would you take for your Bible? Nothing. I, well, I'll give you all the world's riches if you give me all the Bibles you have to where you can never read the Bible again before you go to, no, I don't want that. I want God's word. Should be the way we think. Most Christians today, though, would say, oh, no, give me all the riches. I'll take those. And how about satisfaction, what we have? You can have satisfaction in Jesus. Not that I speak in respect of want, Paul said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content are you truly content what what you have abundance god's family god himself friends satisfaction what we need what we need what the world needs is jesus if you have jesus you have then have peace with god you can have the peace of god as you allow him to ruin your heart and life john muir was a great naturalist out west, 20th century, he was largely responsible for the creation of the Yellowstone National Park and the formation of conservation policy here in America. Lived a very simple life. Yet once he said that he was wealthier than the railroad magnet H.E.H. Harriman, who had acquired millions and millions of dollars, when asked how he could say this, Mr. Muir said, because I have all the money I want and he hasn't. I have all the money I want and he doesn't have that. To whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. What you need is a proper perspective. Do you think that you're going to be satisfied with that? And we see the newest computer come out. Well, I've got to have that computer. And pretty soon we find it, well, it's been up, it's a lot newer. Well, I've got to have that one now. And then pretty soon, a couple of years, wow, I need that. And I need that. And do you see how this, be content with what you have. Be content, be satisfied. Let your life be free of covetousness. One economist did a walkthrough of what it would take to transform the average American home. 
and to the typical dwelling of the majority of the world's inhabitants. What would we need to change in our houses to make it like the majority of the world's houses? He said, well, first of all, strip it of furniture. Out goes the beds, chairs, tables, TVs, lamps. And all that's going to left are a few old blankets, a kitchen table, and a wooden chair. And when it comes to clothing, everybody throws out, gets rid of everything but one set of clothes, and only the head of household has shoes. Then comes the kitchen. Well, all appliances would be gone out the door. The cabinets would have to be emptied. All that can stay in the box is a box with you is a box of matches, a small bag of flour, and some sugar and salt, and a few old moldy potatoes you've already thrown in the garbage can. You got to take those back out. That's what you do have in the kitchen. Perhaps a handful of onions and a dish of dried beans, and that would be all. Everything else goes. Your meat, your freezer, your fresh vegetables, the canned food, the bread, the crackers, the, the uh, Welch's, uh, those little snack, uh, fruit snacks have got to go. All the different things, they've all got to go. All gone. But not only do we have to strip the house this way, but we also have to dismantle the bathroom, shutting off the running water, take off the electric wires. Next, we take away the house itself. The family must move into the tool shed. Everything related to communication goes out. No more newspapers, magazines, books, phones, TVs, everything else that goes with it. Not that there are, are missed, since not that they are missed, because we must also take away the family's literacy capability. Instead, all we have left is one small radio, and then government services are removed. There'll be no mail delivery, no fire department. There's a school three miles away that consists of two classrooms, and there can't be hospitals or doctors nearby. Uh, The nearest clinic will be 10 miles away, intended by no more than a midwife. It can be reached by a bicycle, providing the family had a bicycle, which is quite unlikely. Finally, he says, we come to money. The family can only be allowed a cash hoard of $5. That is only allowed to prevent the main breadwinner of the family from experiencing the tragedy that came upon one poor laborer who went blind because he could not raise $3.94 that he was mistakenly thought was needed to receive admission to a hospital where his eyesight could have been cured and restored. If you want to know what the rest of the world is like, now perhaps this was maybe 30 years old, take 30 the illustration, so maybe it would change somewhat. But I'm just telling you, we are wealthy beyond imagination to most of the world. God has blessed us with so much, a proper perspective, what we have, what you need, and finally, the practice of satisfaction. First of all, it gives gives your heart to the Lord. We must do that. Only Jesus, there's a song, only Jesus can satisfy your soul, and it is true. People are looking. Don't you feel a heartbreak for the young people of our nation so many are looking for happiness and contentment and a, pur- a feeling of purpose, and they're being sold a bill of goods. Even the young people, which can't even hardly, don't even know, any, can't hardly, sorry, terrible grammar, who are not even, they can't even drive, they can't even vote. And yet they're supposed to be able to understand how to change the sex of their person so they can become somebody else. That is ludicrous. We have, in our own country right now, we have the promotion of and laws that are okay child abuse in our own country. We need to wake up. Satisfaction comes when you give your heart and life to God. 
We must cultivate a genuine feeling of gratitude. Be thankful for what we have. Perhaps make a scrapbook of the provisions of God for us or have a little notebook where you have prayers and when God answers them, you put God answered, prayer answered, prayer answered, prayer answered. And then go back and look. We have such a short memory of what God has done for us in the past years. We should be thankful. Why would a teenager ever go to the closet full of clothes and say, I have nothing to wear, nothing at all to wear? Why would kids with PlayStation 5 and and Switch, the newest Switch games and Xbox, whatever it is, the newest things, and all these myriads of toys and say, Dad, I'm bored. Okay, son, I've been waiting to hear that. Let me show you what a lawnmower is like. This is the motor, this is the key, and this is the yard. And here's how you do it. So if we start doing that perhaps more... Why would adults with their, all these different things to enhance their lives say, I just don't feel good about myself? <clears throat> well, in a way, we are to feel that we're not, we aren't good. We understand that. But what Jesus provides, the satisfaction. Learn to love, thirdly, every person who loves one another person rejoices in what that person has. You really want to see how God has blessed you. Go to a children's hospital. Go to the nursing facilities. Just the Children's Hospital, and it will break your heart when you see what families are going through. I know the different ones. Bill's family's been going through that with their children. But you see how many children are suffering through, and their lives are going to be short because of these diseases they have. I'm telling you, God's blessed you. He has. He's blessed us. Now, I know some of you are going through serious things right now, and I pray for you every day. May God give you strength to do that. But he's with us. But you have... Something a lot of the world doesn't have. You have God with you. You have Christ, the hope of glory. You have him living in you and, and ministering to your spirit. So give your heart to Christ. Cultivate gratitude. Learn to love. Know who you are. Teach your children that they are, and when they come to know Christ as Savior, they are saints. They're God's children. And then learn to give. Learn to give. It was just said this morning, I believe, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. We are to be giving people. Are you giving of yourself to others? Watchman Nee said, I have never met a soul who has set out to satisfy the Lord that has not been satisfied himself. That is a key, Christian. Listen, if you're trying to satisfy yourself at the world's table, you're eating out of the hog trough, just to say it bluntly. That's what it is. I was reading a book just as, it's, it's, it's a good, not a bad book, but it was just a story. And the guy, would he would take corn and he would sow it in the bottom pile of the manure pile or in the wintertime. And in the spring, the pigs would come out and they would find these kernels of corn and they would start rooting and they'd spread the manure all over his garden because they're little pieces. And they were just loving it. They were snorting and, and all these different things. The pigs were by moving the stuff around all over the garden because these few little kernels of corn that he put in the ground at late fall so in the springtime, they would find them. And they start like that. I don't do that anymore. But they do that, and the whole manure pile spread out through the garden. That's a pretty good idea, I think. But if you don't have pigs, though, it won't work for you. God doesn't need us. We need him. Nothing will dynamite this covetousness out of our heart like learning to give to God and to others. Teach your children to give. This little phrase, "'Tis more blessed to give than to receive, still works. I'm telling you, it still works. Let's practice satisfaction. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. So let's get our attention off ourselves. 
and turn it onto God and turn our eyes onto Him and let's live this week and the weeks ahead in the moment of satisfaction. The secret is, thou shalt not covet, period. Let us pray. Lord, it is a, the heart issue. Lord, outside, people may think we have this licked, if you want to call it that, or we don't struggle, but Lord, on the inside, perhaps we know we are struggling every day. May we find our satisfaction in you, our relationship with you. Lord, as we grow in our love for you, you become more, and we grow in our love and in relationship, and you satisfy us, and your spirit ministers to us. And by your, your grace, we can live in this world. So Lord, help us to be faithful to do that. May we be satisfied, and thank you, Lord, for your blessings upon us. May we be grateful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.